0: Welcome to Whoever Writes Monsters, a podcast where we explore the dark side of human nature through fiction and nonfiction writers, law enforcement professionals, and whoever else deals with the monsters that stalk our imaginations. I'm Mark Sevy, a professional screenwriter and student of this world of mayhem. Each week, I'll talk to guests, pass on writing tips, and continue the studies I started 20 plus years ago that led me here. Sit back, dim the lights, and lock the doors. We're about to step into the shadows. Hi, this is Mark. This is a inaugural podcast of Whoever Writes Monsters, which of course is based in the Nietzsche quote, whoever fights monsters. And I have that here. I want to read it. Whoever fights monsters should see to it that in the process, he does not become a monster. And if you gaze long enough into an abyss, the abyss will gaze back at you. This is also a quote that changed my life because it was at the beginning of the incredible robert Ressler book uh whoever fights monsters wrestler was a lifelong uh serial killer profiler for the fbi and then independently um i had the um the great honor of staying with him for about a week uh when i was doing a script on his life that unfortunately never got made uh, that's for another probably for another uh podcast but today i'm i'm pretty excited i have a a, a long time friend with me um I mean we're not like hanging out at a bar buddies, but we've known of each other for quite a while. We met uh we met years ago in a writing class and she was already quite an accomplished uh, author at that point and I was in awe of her as I still am today. This is Wendy Hornsby. Hi, Wendy. Hi Mark, how are you? I'm I'm great. Thank you again. I, I couldn't think of a better guest to have for my uh for this inaugural podcast.
1: Well, good luck with all things
0: thanks appreciate it. Uh, you know if I could have half of your career i would i'd be happy with uh with that so
1: <laughs> which half do you want
0: <laughs> Well, the good half, Wendy, give me a break, all right
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe take out some time on this chair
0: <laughs> yeah yeah so um so Wendy and I, as I said, met in writing class years ago. we both share a mentor uh her for mostly novels and me for screenwriting uh, his name is Raymond Obsfeld we should acknowledge uh, his influence he, he's still writing he's still very active uh, in the in the industry and like wendy he won an edgar award for um for his work what did you win the edgar award for
1: i won it for a short story okay. um, nine sons
0: nine sons okay and is nine that in one of the collections um, that you, you have several collections.
1: Yeah, this one came, this was my very, the very first short story I wrote for a publication and it was in uh, Sisters in Crime for volume 4, mm. long time ago.
0: Now, you're primarily uh, known for your Maggie McGowan <clears throat> series, excuse me, uh, which started with Telling Lies and continued to A Bouquet of Rue, but you have another book coming out, right?
1: Oh well, I have another work in process. Okay, this one is is totally out of series. It's a standalone. Maybe we'll see how it how it happens. Mm. I haven't sold it yet, which is
0: oh well, come on. I mean, kind of a
1: first. This is the first book since my very first book, No Harm, all uh-huh. those years ago. That was that Kate I've, Teague, I've written right. on spec. That was Kate Teague. What was uh, so? so
0: I want to get to Maggie McGowan's uh, occupation because I think it's highly intriguing. But what was Kate Kate Teague's occupation?
1: Kate Teague was like me, a history professor.
0: Oh, <laughs> yeah. You did teach. Uh, you did teach history and uh, medieval history too, right?
1: Well, yes, and but uh, most of the time I taught actually uh, United States history because that's what most of the general ed courses in college are, mm. where everybody has to take it. So I yeah. taught that a great deal, and okay. quite a few other other topics as well. Kate Teague was like me, a, a college professor, and I was making the transition from academic writing to writing fiction. And oh. Raymond Obstel and, and our workshop group were were the essential part of that transition. I didn't know much about the market. Mm-hmm. I just wrote the book. And when I was asked bu- and sold it, amazingly, yeah. and when the publisher asked for uh, a series with that character, I was young enough in in the whole process. I didn't know I could say no. Mm-hmm. I didn't dare say no. So I wrote a sequel, and then they asked for the next. And I thought, I'm I, there are already too many bodies for this professor to find on the quad, and it <laughs> didn't seem natural. <laughs> it was looking like Cabot Cove where there's a body in this little, little community every right. week.
0: Right. Yeah, so, don't. Don't invite Jessica Fletcher to a party because somebody's going to die, right? That's uh,
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I thought the opening credits should have the population sign with the number <laughs> crossed out and one fewer every week because <laughs> that was a very murderous little town. Oh, my God. Yes, yeah, I should have been there. I didn't want to go there. She'd yeah. done it. She was fine. I didn't want to be there.
0: Right, um,
1: right. So I thought long and hard, and I thought I wanted someone who wasn't policed. There were lots of PIs and lots of reporters. I wanted someone who was different, Mm -hmm. but someone who could find crimes to to investigate. So, and I love film. So I made Maggie McGowan an investigative filmmaker.
0: That's and which which is yeah, it's a great occupation. Holy crap, yeah.
1: It's fun, yeah.
0: Um. So, so let's get a little bit into the nuts and bolts of of your work because you're obviously successful. I know a lot of this from my experience is hard fought hard hard one. What, um, I mean, how do you come up with your villains? How do they, because we all know that villains are the, the core of uh, what we do here, even if it's a, uh, a romantic comedy, what, uh, where do you come up with your villains? Are you, do you scour the newspapers? Do you just invent them?
1: Well, some of the above, um, the stories just come. They just come. They just occur, and wow. they come out of the events around you, around the world. You know, I, I don't know. The problem isn't deciding what to write. It's or, or finding a story. It's, it's it's figuring out which of the stories you want to write. You're going to do next. And mm-hmm. the villains are just an an organic part of the story. They drive the story. So they. It seems to me that the the villain occurs first. What's the issue that has to be resolved?
0: Right. Okay. And so
1: the the villain the villain walks on stage and lets himself be known.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I wrote an article years ago for uh, Creative Screenwriting that, and one of the one of the legs of the article was the villain moves at night. And uh, so without that villain, we, we get nothing basically, because the hero's basically a spoil sport, he interferes with the villain's uh, plans, I guess. So.
1: <laughs> I thought about it that way, but you're right. Well,
0: yeah. I mean, yeah. Here's the villain, you know, going along, doing evil, having fun, going to uh, bar mitzvahs, and then all of a sudden, the hero comes in and says, "No, you can't do that anymore." So, um, yeah. So, so for me, so, yeah. I I came to uh, plot fairly easily. Characters have always been uh, difficult for for me. You know, not so much creating them, but just making them real and and viable. What was uh what were you good at right away and what did you have to work on?
1: Um, right away I was good at nothing. And I have <laughs> to work on everything all the time. But for me, the the characters come more easily than the plot. Okay. Um and the plot defines what the character of course is going to do. Um and the villain defines the stakes in what our what our character is up against. But um I've been with Maggie McGowan so long that she's she just lives with me all the time. She mm. isn't me, but mm. she lives with me all the time. She's younger, thinner, braver mm. than I am. She's kind of a shield a bit for me uh, looking at world events, but I don't know. The the plot comes out of some notion mm-hmm. read something. Uh, mm. A woman was executed, and she left behind a child. Mm. The story isn't the what led to the execution of the woman, the story that interests me is the life of the child left behind. Mm -hmm. And so the the story evolves out of just thinking, what, what would you do? What is this? What are the ramifications of, how would you survive this, whatever it is? Mm -hmm. And it, it, it just, I don't know. There's a, Mark, are, I think the brains of writers Whatever it is you're writing, maybe just a little wired differently. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Are you, you have a talent for understatement, uh, Wendy. I didn't realize that about you. So yes, I fully agree. We deal in a, you know, that's what I, that kind of segues me into another question. I mean, I've been um, involved with uh, serial killers and uh, that that particular form of darkness for quite a while. Um, it's not necessarily a fascination as much as it's just an interest, but, uh, what it, what brings you, what attracts you to the dark side of human nature? Is it just more inherently interesting or, I mean, you're saying writers are wired differently. I totally agree. Why are you wired differently? What, what do you think your, your influences toward that were?
1: you know that's that's very hard to say i have the greatest liability for a writer and artist of all of all sorts because i grew up in a grew up in suburban california with mm. perfectly ordinary parents in a perfectly ordinary home me too so i don't i don't have you know those those personal demons to overcome but uh, the stories crime stories whatever genre you're using um the author is attempting to bring some order out of a very scary situation Mm-hmm. Because in the real world, so often, order doesn't occur. The bad guys don't don't get their just desserts. Mm-hmm. Um, Bruno Bettelheim, the child psychologist, said that the reason kids love those horrible gothic fairy tales mm. like Hansel and Gretel and Little Red Riding Hood and <clears throat> Snow White is because in the end, the kid always wins. And it's reassuring.
0: Mm, interesting.
1: And I interesting. think in in crime or dark stories, in the end, uh, somebody finds a way to overcome the evil, and I think that's very satisfying to us.
0: Ah, that's a that's really a good good point. Uh, now, do you have a writing routine? I mean, you've been doing it for quite a while. <clears throat> Excuse me. Do you have a? I, I know you uh, you call where you're living paradise, and you call your husband Prince Charming, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you have do you have a well, routine in paradise that you're using that uh, you carried forward from when you used to live in the uh, in the ugly dirty city like we all do now.
1: <laughs> you know, when I was still working, um, my schedule was was uh, hard and fast, uh-huh. and I only had so much time to write, and I had to write when time was available, oh, or okay. nothing would happen. Right. So I was very, 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 very disciplined. But I retired. And we've moved into paradise, uh, and there's so much to explore and so much to do. The most difficult thing when you have all the time in the world is to make yourself put your butt in the chair Mm -hmm. and write.
0: There you go.
1: Because yeah, your your neighbors
0: I've, are deers, right? They they're basically f- they're, Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. We have a mountain lion in our backyard. Oh my god. Which is pretty well, because we have deer and deer are delicious, I guess. Yeah,
0: I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah, we
1: have all sorts of wildlife here. The forest and a live creek and
0: oh, wow. it's
1: pretty beautiful. It, yeah. And there's no four oh five freeway. <laughs>
0: A blessing, definitely. Uh, no, unless you live in California, you can't appreciate the, uh, the massive amount of concrete that ends up being a parking lot at various times of day, of day. So, um, is, so I, and this is a subject that I'm, you know, I'm a screenwriter and I'm of a certain age. Um, it has age become an issue, uh, in any way in your work, uh, either creatively or business wise.
1: No, I think for writers, because we we labor essentially anonymously, singly, mm-hmm. until the book comes out. I don't think it's it's much of a problem. I think, in fact, you gain a bit of gravitas, a bit of weight. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about the physical kind that you know <laughs> attaches spending all the time on the chair. But,
0: well, that does um, happen. that for, happened with me, so don't worry about it. It's uh, I've come to accept uh, for, it. I'm Italian. I'm well, gonna... as long
1: as you can't see it, I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> but, but for for uh, for the you know public art, for film uh, writing, I think it's a it's a it's a big factor, a huge mm-hmm. factor, mm-hmm. until you have a great body of work behind you. But for for writers, not so much. And I I uh, haven't done a, a or published a new headshot for a long time. Mm-hmm. Because I write fiction. Mm-hmm. And I'm staying with the fiction that I still look the way I did when I had that great headshot taken all those years ago and mm-hmm. that's you know
0: Well Maggie's just the, the way it is. Yeah, you and Maggie haven't aged a bit. Not a bit. So uh it's
1: not on the page. Yeah, there you go. Not on there the go. Page. Um You know the 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 problem with age time changes. And so your the content of your stories, the structure of your stories has to change quite a bit too.
0: Yeah, you can't
1: run for phone booths anymore. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you always have have DNA, and you have phones at your your fingertips. So it makes the mystery a little more difficult to make interesting.
0: That's a good point. I uh, whenever I send out a script I wrote, you know, ten or fifteen years ago, I have to do a millennial rewrite and put in, you know, social media and uh, cell phones and all that stuff. So
1: and language.
0: Oh God, yeah.
1: Language evolves. Right. So I don't think I don't think for me it's an issue of age it's it's that you you have to keep up with with this world around it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah and that's to me that's fun. I I'm happy to do that. That's what I the two parts great parts of writing that I love are being able to be, you know learn something new on a subject although I think the FBI probably has had my 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 files probably <laughs> been with them for quite a minute. I mean we look up things like how to murder. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like <laughs>
1: <laughs> I would hate to have to go into court on anything. Like, no kidding. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Explain yeah. your searches. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Explain exactly. your library.
0: Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, so do you work in other genres? And uh, if not, would you like to? I mean, you have a you have a history background. Are is any of your work reflective of that? Or is there is there another? For instance, would you like to write a historical drama or anything like that?
1: My problem with historical fiction is that I read it like a professional oh. and I look for the error in whatever, the language, the tone, the time. So I don't really enjoy very much of it, especially further back one gets. Um, so, but every one of my books has a historical context, 20 years after the Vietnam War or, um, the Rodney King trials oh. or, or, Whatever. There's always a historical something that echoes back into this story. So there is that. Um, but because I've written under contract, my Maggie McGowan books are all contemporary events. But in short stories, I've done all sorts of short stories, which is my first love. And they're, they, you know, range from, from really creepy crawly, uh, to, uh, historical. And there it's fun to experiment.
0: Mm. uh, There was a great quote, and I seem to have lost it, about how uh, no no one since Raymond Chandler has uh, depicted the darker side of Los Angeles uh, as well. And I just want to read the opening of your first book, uh, your first Maggie McGowan book. Because I found it very – it's amazing. It's its like you're a screenwriter. Um, and I know that's – I don't mean to insult you, but it's uh, it just – you get to the point of the story. Who can turn the book down after this? Let me just read this opening. After the third firebomb smashed through the front windows of my parents' Berkeley house, I was parked in a walled convent school 60 miles down the peninsula. Other than swimming in nuns and black habits, there wasn't much worth remembering about St. Catherine's Academy for Young Ladies. At least nothing in relation to what I was, what was happening at home. I was still doing time there on December 20th, 1969. Wow. That's, that's <laughs> your, that's fantastic. And that's like your second or third oh. book or something like that, right?
1: The telling lies is number three. Oh, is it? Yeah. I uh, they have you listed. If that one. was telling lies, that mm- was. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's fantastic. I, I love the opening. I, I could no more put this book down than, than as they say, fly to the moon. It, it's, that's so compelling. Is that well?
1: Thank you very much.
0: Is that your uh, is that your milieu to start with something, you know, something so compelling that you have to read the rest of the book?
1: Oh, absolutely. The um, I just read this recently. Somebody read it, not me, but it's it's the first few lines that uh, sell your book mm-hmm. to the. Publisher to your editor to the reader, and it's your last few lines that sell your next book. Oh, yeah. that, that, that's that's always something to remember. Um, the opening of a book to me is essential because this is where you establish what the stakes are here. Mm-hmm. You establish the relationship with your reader. Mm-hmm. You you tell them what this the story is about, but you you develop the tone um, of the the rest of the book. Mm-hmm. So. Where, in that book, Maggie's um, older sister, who is the reason for the bomb through the window in Berkeley, um, has been shot mm-hmm. in Chinatown in L.A. So that, that event defines as well her relationship with her sister, this always rather explosive surrounding to this figure who to her was always bigger than life. So, yeah, the opening is essential that defines what the rest of the book is going to deliver to you. Mm. So her
0: sister was a radical, right? And that's part of the that's part of the interweaving in the story.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And here's another this is her sister was a radical, a Berkeley radical. She's a, a epidemiologist, medical okay. doctor. Oh. Uh, and she's she was part of the think of the SDS um, in uh, in Berkeley, well, mm-hmm. in the United States during the '60s, during the mm-hmm. anti-war movement and afterwards, and m- that book has um, a very strong historical setup um, because it's it's that period that's now 20 years gone by the time that book was written mm-hmm. or more. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, a friend who went underground all those years ago. Has suddenly been brought out of hiding, and we've seen that not so long ago. Kathleen Solia, some of the SLA people, and mm-hmm. um, Bernadette Dorn, and various other folks mm-hmm. who are now old folks, <laughs> have been finally found, and or have themselves come in out of out of the cold. And so that's that's the background of the story: is that the sister's history as a radical.
0: Okay. Yeah. And the, now someone um,
1: shot her in the head.
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah, and that 's a really compelling uh storyline. I love that kind of unraveling of past events yeah so can you uh can you briefly talk about anything you want to talk about re- regarding writing, like you know tips, how do you get your stuff out there? what do you have to do as a writer uh, I mean give me the benefit of some your the audience also some of the benefit of your your experience um i mean what what do you come away with as a as in as a writer uh that you think is most important
1: let me think two things: one is advice from Somerset Mom. Hmm. We said there are three rules for writing, only nobody knows what they are <laughs> so write write what you do, write do your work uh-huh. don't don't follow the market, don't follow trends, except keep girl out of your title, please. Um, <laughs> <laughs> take up too much shelf space already but, uh, write write your book write your book um and the next is you have to keep your bottom in a chair long enough to finish something hmm. and that's a real commitment you have to look at yourself as as a professional as a writer otherwise you're going to have chapters in a top drawer forever if you're going to be a writer you have to write and you have to take it seriously you have to let people know you're serious, that when you're writing, it doesn't mean you can go to lunch or mm-hmm. take a walk. Mm-hmm. It means you're at work. And when you let this be known, you take yourself more seriously. But the, the important part is until you have finished a book, you don't have anything. Mm-hmm. So it's a time commitment. Yeah, Bottom in the chair. E.O.C. Yeah, t- yeah.
0: <laughs> I say put your ass in a seat, so I'm a little bit less uh, polite than you are but it's that's exactly what it is, so. <laughs> um, so what i would like to do is tell everybody to please avail yourself of uh anything that wendy has written um i'll put some links on the uh, podcast uh, there's a great uh a great one here i was looking at called uh, fantasticfiction.com plus her website is wendyhornsby.com and that's h-o-r-n-s-b-y uh correct yeah, and is there anything else you want to promote or anything else you want to say to to the audience?
1: Well, you know, something that's fun and something that that maybe the folks want to explore um is that early books that <clears throat> um not so long ago would have disappeared from from availability um are now available as ebooks. All my early books that were out of print, oh. they're now ebooks and easily available. Yeah, you have a Kindle, no- Nobu, and so on. Um and and if you re if you're discovering a new author it's not a bad idea to go look at the old books if you're a serious writer to look at how the evo- the author evolves mhm to watch that process occur
0: i agree i think it's fascinating um i always start at the very beginning with a new author period i don't any i don't i don't dump dip in i i want to see it from the beginning um you have a you do have a uh, an amazon page also and it's like I said, I'll put those, I'll put all those links in the show notes, uh, so you can, Thanks. you can uh, discover this incredible writer. And uh, you know, I, I just can't thank you enough for helping me get my, this new podcast started. We are whoever writes monsters. My name is Mark Sevi. We've been talking to uh, Wendy Hornsby, a really terrific writer, a uh, very nice person, uh, and the most beautiful eyes I've ever seen. So, uh, <laughs> which with got- a
1: nickel will get you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thank you, this Wendy, for uh, for being with me.
1: It's fun talking to you. Yes. Good luck I, with all all oh, things.
0: Thank you. Thank you.